And welcome to Of The People. I'm Robert Chernin. Thank you so much for joining us again. In the news this week, multiculturalism. Actually, last week. In Ireland, a person of color, an immigrant, stabbed five people. The ensuing riots, shockwaves through Europe, shockwaves in this country. But really, is it any surprise? Now, let's be clear. We do not condone violence in any form. And we certainly do not condone violence against law enforcement or the police. But the media is attributing this to the far right. We can talk about that spectrum of ideology in a second. They're also attributing it to the radicalization that comes from social media. So I guess social media is okay when it's on this woke ideology and when it's Black Lives Matter with these mostly peaceful demonstrations of 2020 and 2021. But the point here is that multiculturalism is a failed Western experiment, and here is yet another example of that failure. What do we mean by multiculturalism? Multiculturalism is where you take in other cultures into your culture, and they do not have to integrate. They do not have to become part of the social fabric, so they become part of society, but they are not part of society, if you will. You see it in all the Western countries at this point, and I defy anyone to show me an example of where multiculturalism, trying to blend all these different cultures into one, has succeeded. There's not a single example on the globe that anyone can find and anyone can point out, at least not to me, and I've looked pretty hard at this. The other thing to understand is that multiculturalism was the harbinger of woke politics and identity politics. because. Everyone is their own culture, and your culture is just as good as mine. And that's fine to have your own culture, but it is the opposite of the nation state. Remember, the nation state used to be where people would immigrate to America and wanted to become part of America. That doesn't mean that you didn't have to, you have to give up your own language, but you wanted to become part of American culture. You wanted to learn the language and you wanted to be American. Now everything is these little fragmented groups, social groups, uh, ideology groups, racial groups, and now it's into LGBTQ and all those other identity politics groups. It fragments society. It pulls society apart. There is no social unity. There is no cohesion outside of your what? Your identity politics or your culture. And again, we can juxtapose this. Canada was supposedly the poster child for multiculturalism, where it was a mosaic, where people of different cultures would come to Canada, but they would not really become part of Canadian society as much as they would maintain their own cultural identity, which is all well and good to a point. Now, how's that working for you, Canada? Multiculturalism has failed there as well. In this country, Michael Savage famously said that a culture or a country is is defined by border language and culture. Well, right now, our culture is diverse. It is not a single American culture because that would be bad. Because again, the nation state is a bad thing. It is xenophobic. It is, and especially since it's colonial and it's white, people of color are oppressed by white people. That's what this is about. You can candy coat this any way you want. And I'm not here to prescribe racial politics or that the white culture is better than the non-white culture. 
but multiculturalism led to identity politics. It has failed everywhere it's tried. And you see the latest example now in, in Ireland. So again, I don't condone the violence, but let's understand what led to this. And this is a failure of liberal Western leaders not understanding the impact and buying into this elitism of one world, right? Because under the one world theory, all cultures are equal and all cultures should get along. And if some cultures don't get along with other cultures, like clearly the one culture is a problem or the other culture. It's total crap. And this is, again, what we're fighting against. And the whole concept of this far right ideology, you have to remember, this is about a spectrum. So when the entire political establishment shifts hard left, then what used to be the moderate right is now the far right according to the media, according to the elites, according to education. So when you see multiculturalism or examples of its failure, understand that we are in some respects being hoisted on our own petard yet again. And for those who don't remember the reference, it's being ex being exploded by your own bomb that you planted. We did this to ourselves. Nation states have their place. People need to belong to something. When they don't belong to something, i.e. a nation, they're going to find something else to belong to, whether it's a radical group so defined, whether it is a new religion of wokeism. But it is at odds with the stability that the nation state provides and the identity of who you are, where you belong, and the culture that you're a part of. Again, as I said before, find me a single example in the Western world where multiculturalism has worked. And by the way, Notice that no one is migrating to the non-Western world, really. Everybody's coming here. So we're the ones who are supposed to adapt to all these new cultures. And it used to be that these cultures wanted to integrate and assimilate into a single fabric of a country. Not anymore. Also, before we go to break, I want to remind everyone of the raffle and the drawing we're doing for Sig Sauer Academy. Next week on our December 7th show, Pearl Harbor Day, we are giving away a $250 gift certificate to Sig Sauer Academy for any gun course that you want to take there. What you need to do is email me, robert at coalition, the number four, america.com. Say it's for the Sig Sauer Academy. Give me your name. Give me your phone number. Robert at coalition, the number four, america.com. Enter the drawing. We'll announce it live on the December 7th show. Thanks so much for being with us. Stay tuned for the main show. We will be right back on the other side of the break. Hello, everyone. This is Erica Reddick, co-host of Of The People. Coming to you today, Robert, our illustrious host, uh, couldn't be with us today. He's out saving the world kicking butt and taking names. And so we are lucky and fortunate enough to have Mr. Jay Shepard with us co-hosting today. Jay is the National uh, Republican National Committee Men for Vermont. And so he's going to be here with me co-hosting. Jay, how are you today? I'm absolutely wonderful. I appreciate you having me on. 
I'm sure Robert is out there doing greater things than I will accomplish in this hour of uh, radio show. <laughs> well, we do know that he has been, he's an excellent host. He does a great job of keeping things together. So I'm going to do my best to fill his big shoes today. And, uh, and hopefully we will be just as entertaining as always. So when we were prepping for the show today, um, and I knew that you were going to be co-hosting with me, Jay. I, w I decided I really wanted to focus on that very first right that is enumerated in the Bill of Rights, and that is the right to life. Uh, I know you're a big pro-life guy, you're big into the pro-life movement, you know a lot about things related to um, protecting the unborn, and you're a big advocate for the unborn. And so I said, you know what, as we're going into this season, right, we just had Thanksgiving, we're going into the uh, holiday season with Christmas, the birth of Jesus, we've got Hanukkah going on, right? And so as we're entering this season of, of Thanksgiving, of prayer, I thought it would be good for us to focus on this topic of life. And, and so, you know, first off, I want you to share with our listeners because I want them to understand you and your background and and why you're so passionate about this topic. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the advocacy you've done in the pro-life movement? Like I know you are um, affiliated with the website, they've gone too far. Um, you know, you've worked in the state of Vermont against some of the really outrageous overreaching laws that have been passed there. Can you share with our audience a little bit about that advocacy? Sure. I think I'll give you a little bit of background uh, with my activism in the Republican Party and why it exists. Uh, so there's a lot of people who are involved in politics for a variety of different reasons. I, my main motivation to be actively involved in Republican politics is the life issue. And I think when you look at that being a priority and why you end up being a Democrat or a Republican, there is no room for the pro-life movement within the Democrat Party. So in order to move the ball forward to protect the lives of children, uh, you have to, it's a political movement as well as a moral mm. movement. So I joined the Republican Party as a way of fighting against the taking of the lives of children, and especially the unborn after 1972 Roe v. Wade. And a lot of people talk about, you know, the religious aspect of it. I'm, I'm, I'm a very devout Catholic. I work at it. But I was pro-life before I was an active Catholic mm. because it is one of the fundamental things that if you do not believe in the life of a child, what can your belief system be in this country? So when we break it down, what we're really talking about here is if you don't believe in protecting a child, or on the other hand, if you think it's okay to kill a child, how will I believe in other things that you say? It's a fundamental mm. basic rule of morality. And so when we talk a little bit further, we get into some of the details of it. We've, we've been very much involved in the legal aspects of it and all of that. 
what we really need to do is have two parts of that. We want to talk mm -hmm. about the legal issues that have come and gone, you know, the Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision, the, the voting of putting uh, nine-month abortions in constitutions of states, where it's happening mm -hmm. on a regular basis now, where Vermont was the leader in that, where I was very actively involved with a lot of very good people, much smarter than me, much more active than I am, uh, to fight that from being in the Constitution. What we now need to do, because we've, we've moved with the legal aspect of it to a point that we can't bring it back, that mm. it's legal in, most, in many of the states now, and it's going to be legal in many more states. We need to have the moral fight now. We need yeah. to talk about options for women, and we need to start talking about giving life to children, giving life to families, giving life to women. So we need to start talking differently now, and we have to start talking about the moral issues involved in this. And I really want to get into a little bit later on, perhaps, about what choice really is. Yes. So we, we've got a, a juggernaut of Planned Parenthood out there talking about choice and all of that stuff. But what they really mean is, do I have the only choice they're giving women is do I have an abortion today or do I have it tomorrow? So there's no real yeah. true choice out there. So we need to be involved in the morality and the moral fight to make sure that people understand that this is a child. And please tell me when it's okay to take the life of a child. Well, and that's what, so, okay. So you've brought up a lot of really great, great topics. Um, you've, you've touched on a bunch of the things I wanted to talk to you about, wanted to ask you about. So let's first address that, that moral issue. Like when does it become a life worth protecting under the constitution. That's one of the conversations that I've always found so interesting is the unborn are by far the most dehumanized people ever on earth, right? We have we have said and you know as as my shirt says, we or planned parenthood and pro abortion um advocates have said, "Oh, well, it's just a clump of cells. It's just a clump of cells. It's not really a human being. And then I, you know, what I said was, yeah, but I'm a fully grown human being and I'm still just a clump of cells. What, what do you mean? Like this clump of cells is okay to kill, but this clump of cells is not okay to kill. And, and I don't understand how you can make that moral difference like how, what how do you think they get away with being able to just dehumanize a whole group of people well i i think when you're when you're looking at when life begins it's a really difficult question there's a lot of issues that go with it i mean is it uh, at conception which i believe is it six weeks is it six hours is it 15 weeks is it 36 weeks when does life begin well, but we have mm. to go back a little further than that. We have to understand a very important principle of this. If mm. you tell me that it's okay for abortion, then you need to answer to me whether or not that is a child at any point. Mm. So one of the big things that we don't understand is, is that these pro-abortion people, and there's this big thing out there saying, well, nobody's really pro-abortion. Well, they are. 
there's billions of dollars being made in the abortion industry. There's a whole movement of people that make their oh, living. Oh, yeah, they're abortion. shout your abortion, celebrate your abortion, you know, all that nonsense. Right. You know, in the state yeah. of Vermont on Roe v. Wade Day, they have cake and ice cream and they celebrate the death of 72 million people over the years. Wow. It's before we can even have the, the conversation about when life begins. We need to have the conversation with people for them to explain why they think it's okay to take the life of a child. Mm. Because there is no difference between nine months in conception if you don't have that conversation that it is a life at some point before it is born. Well, and this is this has been my argument all along, Jay. And I I actually in when I was running for Congress, I got asked this question in a debate. And, and this is how I answered it. This is what I said. Okay. L when does life begin? First of all, I think it's a, it's a stupid question and an argument to begin with, because if we sent a rover to Mars and an amoeba or a single-celled organism were found, the headline would read, life found on Mars, mm -hmm. right? So we know that even a single cell is life. And so I feel like the conversation is really, when does that life deserve the same protection under the Constitution as a born person, right? And so that's almost like the separation of the moral versus the legal argument, right? So I think, is that kind of what you're saying about having like a moral argument first versus the legal argument or having them, can we have them separately? Well, they, they have to be separate. They, they have to be separate, but we have to start with the moral part of it and whether or not it is a child or not. So okay. you and I or anyone, I can have a real conversation and I can respect someone who says, if it is a child, we can't kill it. Okay. But the pro-abortion people are out there saying, even if it is a child at nine months, maybe it's we the can. wrong gender. Maybe it has Down syndrome. Maybe it has other ailments. Then we still have a right to take the life of that child. You cannot have an argument with terrorists. And I have going out and saying it right here and right now that if you think it's okay to take a life of a child for any reason, we can get into the life of the mother separately. But if you think it's okay to take the, the life of a child, you are a terrorist. And mm. you cannot have a conversation you cannot argue with a terrorist. And most importantly, you can no longer fund terrorist organizations. And these terrorist organizations that are getting millions and millions of dollars from our government to promote terrorism, it should stop. Now, when, you know, there's going to be people who, if they hear you say, you know, calling like Planned Parenthood terrorists would be like, oh, how dare you say something so salacious. But they literally are arguing for the extermination of an entire people group. So what else would you call that? How else would you refer to that? Well, let, let's be very clear about this. Just because you call yourself pro-choice, mm. I am not calling you a terrorist. Okay. okay. What I'm saying, there are some leaders in the pro-abortion industry that make their life and they are fully satisfied with taking the life of a child 
healthy or unhealthy. Yes. That is pure and simple. That is wrong. And that's a moral fight that we need to have. And we cannot support financially the other side of that. So what I'm really saying here is the abortion industry is doing things that we should not be funding because they believe it's okay to take the life of a child. See, one of the one of the tough parts is that most people will call themselves pro-choice because they truly believe there are exceptions. And you can have conversations with those people, and they're good people. They have an understanding that there are issues that go beyond what's happening that made the woman pregnant or the circumstances mm. that surround it. Right. Let's have so like, those conversations. Um, like um, essay, incest, things like that, different right. things. So yeah. let's have those conversations. Let's talk about when it might be okay. Let's not talk about when it's not okay. So we, we, need, to, mm. we need to change the argument a little bit in terms of, yes, I think we all agree that life of the mother is, is so rare. You know, yeah. they used to talk about the health of the mother, and that was their justification for the mental mm. health aspect where she says, you know, I, I don't want to have the child, and I'll be really upset if I do. Okay, so that's the mental health of the, of the mother. So we, right. we, we need to start defining these terms differently. But right. the big part of it, and, and I want to talk to you a, a little bit about the whole funding mechanism and all of that, but there, there, there are reasons and things that we have to do we start, have to start empowering women to understand. You know, to me, there's a big issue with telling women that they're not capable. This is yes. Oh my God, Jay. I'm oh, I'm sorry for interrupting. I just it's one of the things that makes me so frustrated about the whole argument is like it's not even about you know the conversation is like well you're never going to be able to succeed if you have a kid you can't have a career and you can't go to school and you're never going to amount to anything and it's like that's never been true in the history of all time what are you talking about and why would you degrade and demean women in such a way as to say that motherhood will prevent them from being fulfilled what a right. lie that is. I, I, you know, as we get into this, I know that you and Robert do three sections. And I think yeah. it, I was looking at this first section as being an overview of, mm. the, of what's going on and all of that. And I'd really like yeah. to spend an entire section talking about empowering women and how we okay. can give them true choice. And then I want to talk a little bit, of, uh, you know, in another segment about the funding and the money that goes in the options that yes. are out there and, and where all of that should go. So I think it's really important that we talk about women, we talk about empowering them and exactly what you were just saying. You know, if you come into my household and you tell my wife that she's not capable of something, she's going to look at me and like, who, who do you think you are telling me I'm not capable of something? But that goes very strongly towards how men have treated women in the past. And it's being a male dominated mm -hmm. society have tried many people have tried to put men and women that try to make women victims. And the reality is mm. women can deal with it. They can be successful. And there are story after stories of the successful families that are out there and successful women that have had children and have gone on to greatness. Mm. 
I love that. Okay. So let's, okay. So let's put a pin in a couple of these conversations till we come back from break. But before we go to break, you touched on one thing that I would love for you to address really quickly. And this might be too long of a conversation, but one of the things that's really frustrated me, um, over the last couple of years since the overturning of Roe versus Wade is the number of Republicans who are blaming midterm losses on us finally winning and being successful in all of these pro-life legislations, right? We had Roe versus Wade overturned and then state after state put in protections for the unborn. And now Republicans, who we run on this as being pro-life normally, are now blaming election losses on those pro-life victories. What do you have to say to those Republicans out there uh, before we take a break? Well, quick, quick and easy. There are a lot of Republicans in the 1800s that lost elections because they were against slavery. You have to put mm. a stake in the ground and saying, this is what I believe in. But most importantly, you have to say why you believe in it. And you have okay. to give people options and have them understand that your pro-life position is based on a moral value. It's about the, knowing the issue and explaining how it can be better than it already is. We can talk about the fact that we need to, as Republicans, we need to protect the most vulnerable in society. We need to be protecting our seniors. We need to be protecting children of all ages. And so if we truly believe that these are children, we need there's no difference between mm. protecting the life and protecting mm. the, the innocent and the vulnerable that's three years old or someone that's 80 years old. We need to yeah. show that we have care, we have compassion, and we know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, and we have to be able to express it properly. And a lot of people are, a lot of Republicans are saying, oh, it's too much work. All I care about is getting elected. And we have too many people in elected office, Democrat, Republican, independent, and otherwise, whose sole goal is to get reelected. You need mm. to accomplish something. And that's our biggest problem right now in Washington. And the Republicans are, are in trouble for it because you get power, you need to do something with it. Oh, amen, Jay. Amen. Okay. So on that note, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, make sure that you go and you email me or Robert, my email, Erica at coalition, the number four America.com. We've got that Sig Sauer giveaway going on. Uh, if you enter, Email us for your entry uh, to get a training session at the SIG Academy in New Hampshire. So ladies and gentlemen, make sure you email us, make sure you go to our website and register, holler at us, check out that giveaway. All right, we're gonna go to a quick break, say thank you to our station and our funders. Y'all stay tuned, hold on. From conservative commentator and contributor to Breitbart News, The American Spectator, The Jerusalem Post, The New Civil War, Exposing Elites, Fighting Utopian Leftism, and Restoring America, 
Bruce D. Abramson brings a transformative exploration into how progressivism has poisoned America. Featuring a foreword by President Trump's former strategist, Sebastian Gorka, PhD, the new civil war will open your eyes to the left's incendiary agenda and how patriotic Americans can fight back. We are living through a national trauma. The United States has jettisoned the rule of law and ceased functioning as a republic. Battle lines have been drawn. Progressives are moving quickly to cement their transformation of the country's beliefs, attitudes, values, social structures, economic models, and government organizations. Patriotic Americans are waking up to recognize that conservatism failed to conserve much of anything. Progressives control academia, media, the civil service, and several of our country's most important industries. The new civil war is not a call for war. It is a recognition that war has been declared on us. Our sacred love of liberty is under attack. Unless we defend it, the America we love may be lost. This book is for every patriotic American eager to defeat the utopian left and restore America. Joel Pollack, conservative journalist. Americans face a bizarre new political landscape. A supposedly moderate president who ran on promises of unity is pursuing a radical left-wing agenda. These challenges call for principled, effective opposition. The new civil war will help start a conversation about how to push back. Harmeet Dillon, civil rights lawyer. As a lawyer who defends the victims of progressivism every day, I have looked into the eyes of the thought police. The new civil war provides the wake-up call American needs and serves as a self-defense manual for patriotic Americans. Get your copy of The New Civil War today. Welcome back, everyone, to Of The People. We have a special episode and special guest today. I'm Erica Reddick. I get to be your fancy host today. And joining me as our guest and co-host is Mr. Jay Shepard, uh, Vermont National Committeeman for the Republican Party. Jay, thank you again for being here with us. Well, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, I know that Robert couldn't make it today, so you upgraded in the looks department, but probably not the intelligence level. <laughs> I wanted to send that little message over to Robert as well. Uh, I think what you and Robert have been doing on this show has been fantastic. Uh, you know, the beauty and the beast. I think it's uh, a good opportunity for uh, people to get a real understanding <laughs> of the issues that uh, people are involved in these days. So, so wait, am I the... Me. Am I the beauty or am I the beast? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, this is this is a right now we're on the radio in New Hampshire, uh, and people can't tell. But if they've ever tuned into the podcast, which you might want to give the podcast uh, information and where they can find it, uh, oh, so they can man. actually see who make their own decisions regarding who the beauty is and who the beast is. <laughs> I think that yes. this might be an appropriate time for you to do that. I think that that is such a great idea, Jay. If you are a one of our listeners on the radio in New Hampshire, you can also check us out um, on any of the podcasting platforms. So whether it's, uh, you know, Google or, uh, oh my gosh, what are all of the various ones? There's The only one we're not on is Apple uh, or I 
what is i it's not itunes anymore we're not on apple Podcasts for whatever reason we can't get an apple podcast but every other podcasting Podbean, whatever it is you can find us there you can also find us at um either under robert chernin or of the people you can search both on rumble youtube instagram um you can check out robert rb chernin on twitter i'm erica reddick on twitter now you're jay the shepherd one on twitter right yes if they want to check you out because you know the twitter verse is uh is where the politics is discussed so we got a lot of activity i'm one of the people that actually follow people back (laughs) <laughs> I think I think if you are a patriot and you believe in America, uh, I will follow you back. There are a bunch of people I don't follow back. Um, mm. But if I don't follow you back, it's because you deserve it. And if you're I do weirdo. follow you, it's because I believe we all have a chance by working together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. So everybody go check us out on any of those uh, various platforms. YouTube is of the people USA. So you'll get our shorts. uh, You'll get long, uh, you know, each segment and you'll find the majority of our content that is shareable on YouTube. So definitely go check it out, y'all. And Um, you don't want you don't want to watch my shorts. Let's let's keep that. (laughs) That's let's be very careful about that. Uh, when you talk about shorts, I think you're talking about video segments. Yes. Thank God. Yes. Yes. Not actual drawers. Thank goodness. Um, and you know, speaking of, of keeping track of things and watching things, one of the things Robert says all of the time is watch the money, track the money where does the money go? And one of the things that we start, you know, that you alluded to in our first section was the funding for the pro-abortion industry. And I think that this is a fascinating conversation because, you know, I remember back in my day when I was a pro-choice person and I, and I donated to Planned Parenthood. Okay. I was, I have to confess, I was one of those people who thought, that that was super important and that, you know, that made me an independent whammon and that, you know, that was like feminism or whatever. And so one of the things that has always been a tradition in the United States is that we don't fund abortions, right? People said, okay, we can make abortions legal, but the American people by and large do not want to fund those things. And so people will donate money to Planned Parenthood and um, and they'll say, oh, well, we're using it for the legal fund or we're using it for this or, you know, but the reality is, is money is fungible, right? And so if we donate money, say, as an example, or, you know, things are funded one way or another, well, they can just move the money around can't they like let's if if any money is going from the federal government to abortion providers it's still really funding abortions even if it is paying for family planning because they're just going to divert funds from family plan you know right like a business it's still all money in and money out what does it matter what it's getting spent on Uh, you're absolutely right 
And I think people have to understand something that's very important. Everyone in this country that makes over $40,000 a year pays for abortion funding. What? There, if you are paying taxes in this country, if you are paying federal income tax in this country, you are helping to fund abortion. And, and is in, that... Be oh, go ahead. In, go ahead, Jim. In the year 2022, the federal government, and my numbers may be a little off, uh, gave $674 million to Planned Parenthood. What? 670 If you go and you look at Planned Parenthood, they brag about the fact that the federal government gave them $674 million. Million dollars. Tax dollars. So Your all money, of us, my all money. Of us know that I can't say, here, okay, I, I owe $10,000 in taxes this year. Give five thousand to the military. Give two thousand to this. <laughs> Four thousand to that. They just—they don't let you do that. So what they do is they take all of our money, whether we're pro-life, pro-choice, agnostic about the issue, and they spend it the way they want to. And the government, the federal government, and state governments in 2022 gave six hundred seventy-four million dollars to Planned Parenthood. But that doesn't what talk about, about other abortion opportunities that are out there, but that's oh yeah, that's because that's just one. That's one entity, like which is a multi-billion-dollar industry. It's and I think if you look at what Planned Parenthood does and what some of the others do, they're a billion-dollar business. And when you so talk about, about is it used for abortion? What it is used for is women's health services, which are not defined. And if you read anything about abortion clinics, they talk about them being a health clinic yeah so they easily say this is going towards women health issues try getting a mammogram at Planned Parenthood see how that you works can. for you you can't yeah no but let's take a look no. at let's take a look at fairness let's look at the fact that they want to talk about choice let's give women choice that's what mm. we're all about we're pro-choice so if the federal and state governments gave abortion provider Planned Parenthood 674 million dollars how much did they give to pregnancy resource centers? That's a great question, Jay. Do we have a number for that? Well, the number's a little fungible. Is that the word you use? Yeah. I don't know what that word means. I always think of fungi when you give money to some of these organizations. <laughs> according, according to, it can be moved around. It can be moved around. So what Planned Parenthood has said is that State government and federal government have given $60 million to pregnancy resource centers. Wow. And there are 2,500 of them across the country. That's ridiculous. So if we're well, believing, do, if we're even believing, we're believing Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood numbers, it's 10 to 1. That does, okay, I'm sorry. I feel bad, Jay. I'm like, I keep talking over you because this, uh, this conversation is so like mind-bogglingly irritating to me because it's just like feels like they just say stuff so hold on a second so even Planned Parenthood acknowledges that they get 10 times as much funding as pregnancy resource centers from the federal government well it's not federal it's all state all government so some well, states do even a small state like Vermont gives eight hundred thousand dollars to Planned Parenthood they give zero so that's to pregnancy resource centers 
And see, that's my question. So back in, I think it was 20, now my numbers are a little bit old, right? So I think it was in 2021, $1.5 million of Vermonters, okay, a tiny little poor state like Vermont, gave $1.5 million in taxpayer dollars to Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers and $0 to any pregnancy resource centers. Right. I mean, so that's evidence enough. We know those are the numbers in just one small, small state. So imagine how that translates when you're talking about New York or Florida or some of these bigger states with the higher populations and higher budgets. Well, let, let's let's talk about what's really happened now. So after the Dobbs case, which sent everything back to the states mm. for them to decide when life begins and when life can be terminated, States have made additional decisions. Let's take Pennsylvania, for instance. Pennsylvania still gives money to Planned Parenthood and abortion providers. Uh, Governor Shapiro decides we're not going to give any money to pregnancy resource centers any longer. So not only have they legalized, sent it back to the states because of the Dobbs decision, They've cut $7.2 million out of the state budget that was going to pregnancy resource centers for things like, how about car seats? How about providing diapers? How about providing formula? How about providing basic necessities and services so that women have truly have a choice and can have services provided to them? So if you, let's take the $60 million that um, Planned Parenthood says is being spent. So 7.2 mm -hmm. just disappeared in Pennsylvania. In Minnesota, the governor there decides we're not going to give the $3 million that we've been giving to support car seats and formula and diapers and other services that the pregnancy resource centers have been providing. So those are just two states that have just stopped $10 million going to provide services that provide women with a true choice. Well, that's so, what Jay... Jay, how can these states call themselves pro-choice? See, this is my question. How can you call yourself pro-choice when the only option you're providing is abortion? The death of the child. That's your only, oh, we're, we, will, we will kill, we will help you kill your child if you want to, but we will not help you raise it. We will not, we will not help you uh, clothe it or be a successful parent. Right. One option is not a choice. You know, this isn't the Soviet Union when you go to buy a car and they say, this is the one you're getting. That is not a mm. choice. When, when women are presented with options, then they can make an in, informed, educated decision, which is a choice. But when you are put in a position where everything, the government, the media, the credentialed elite talk about that is not a choice because they are pushing their message. They are pushing what they're doing and they are supporting it with a tremendous amount of money. Well, and I feel like it's almost like, and, and you know, we had talked about, um, oh gosh, you know, maybe I should save this for the last segment where we're going to be talking about empowering women, but it almost feels like they're disempowering people on purpose 
uh, and I, you know, I gotta, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to ask you to speculate. And I know we should be careful, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, say what people's motives are. Right. But if we say that, you know, we're going to, uh, we're only going to fund one option. And then in the meantime, we're going to tell you that you're not good enough or smart enough to be able to have your life if you choose the other option other than the one we're going to fund for you. Like, it's almost like there's a concerted effort to convince m women and men, for that matter, but women in particular, that this is that they should just avoid motherhood. You know what? We're you know what? Just avoid it. And by the way, we're not going to be there for you. We're not going to support you. We're not going to help you. Um, we're going to provide you this one option. And uh, and if you don't choose it, we're going to like guilt you and shame you and not support you. Well, that's that's what they want, because quite honestly, they are smarter than you and I. They are smarter mm -hmm. than everyone. And they are the ones that get to make the decisions for you. Because what, mm. what's developed here with the credential elite, and I know that you had Dr. Bruce Abramson on who talked about the credential mm. elite in his fabulous book, The New Civil War. And he's War. also a credentialed elite, which is funny. He's also a credentialed elite. That's beside elite. the point. <laughs> but the, the, point, the point being there, they, there's a group of people who are tremendously funded that believe they should be the ones making all the decisions for us. I believe that mm. we are a representative democracy, a true republic. And that's what we elect people to help make some of those decisions for us. But the power still should remain with the people and not the credential elite, not the, those who have elevated themselves to making all the decisions for us. And what's happened is when government gets involved in these issues, government is controlling our life. They are making decisions for us. And that is what's wrong in Washington is they believe they know it. And what they're basing it on is their, their whole ethnocentrism, where how they are and what they deal with is more important than what the rest of us are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm, mm. Oh, it's so true, Jay. I just, I, I'm, I am in agreement. It just really seems like that. So really, really quick before we go to break, and this might be a rabbit hole that we're going to need to come back to. But, you know, in the, at the beginning, you talked a little bit about, you know, how when slavery was being debated, it was, you know, it was a state's rights issue to some people. But then the federal government said, no, this is not okay. Um, we need to fight against this moral atrocity. You don't get to own human beings, right? And so now with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, this conversation has gone back to the states as you mentioned and is now a state's rights issue and a lot of people are saying this is a state's rights issue do you think that there is a place for the federal government to step in here as it did in the case of slavery to either define what life is when we say that we have the right to life or or to codify um, protections for the unborn. Do you think that there's a place for the federal government in that, or do you think this really is a state's rights issue? 
Well, you know, the Tenth Amendment is very clear on this, and I do believe that mm. this decision made in Dobbs is a correct decision. What we need to do as pro-life advocates is we need to win the bo- the battle of morality. We need mm. to win in every one of these states where we're going to lose because the states are going to decide there's so much money being pushed into these states to put it into their constitutions and make the changes. We need to change where the battle is now, and we need to start mm. Putting women and families in a position where they can truly make a choice and they can truly make the right decision. So Mm -hmm. what we really need to do is we need to shift the battle. We need to take it out of the courts. And what we need to do is take it into the schools. We need to take it into Mm -hmm. society. We need to fund opportunity. And we can talk about more of the empowerment in the next segment. But we really need to understand that the battle isn't through the court systems and it's not illegal anymore. What it really is, it's a battle between good and evil and how we explain good and our values and the morals, whether they're mm-hmm. religious or whether they're fundamental and they're secular. That's right. That's right. We got to bring this battle to the dinner table, not to the courtroom. We got to talk about it. We got to we got to have the conversations. All right. So we're going to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. We have Mr. Jay Shepard, National Committee Man for the State of Vermont, the Republican Party. We will be back after this short break. Hi, I'm Robert Chernin. And I'm Erica Reddick. And we are of the people. You can find us on Rumble. You can find me on Twitter at RB Chernin. And? And I am at Erica Reddick. Look us up. You'll be entertained. That we guarantee. Absolutely. She's never wrong. Ever. <laughs> Just ask my husband. Welcome back, everyone, to this final segment. We've got Jay the Shepherd with us today as our guest. I love, first of all, you have a great last name. It plays well for your Twitter title, Jay the Shepherd One. Everybody go go follow Jay on the Twitters. He is the Republican National Committeeman for Vermont, our special guest today. So Let's let's talk. Let's let's close the show today with some positivity, Mr. Shepard. How about that? Talking about empowering women, empowering people and and breaking this narrative that somehow parenthood is going to prevent people from having life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I think the first part of it is we have to take get rid of the negative stereotypes that are out there. Mm. We have to stop the media. We have to stop all of this conversation that women are a minority or women are a protected Mm. class. They are a power that we need to start recognizing. I think when you look at, you know, the nuclear family and all of that, it's the women that have brought everything together. Uh, We go back in history and, you know, there'd be no Christianity without the Virgin Mary. There are powerful women in the history that have got it done. I mean, think about how successful Mary was when she had a baby. So, 
but, but, but there has to be two parts of this. There has to be two parts in that we have to stop the negativity, but we have to empower women in two ways. We have to give them real choice and yep. we have to support choice. Yeah. We, we really have yep. to give them think- economic support, emotional support, you know, real options because there are tough challenges in life. And especially when women don't have people around them to support them and say to them, you are good enough. You are powerful enough. You are an exceptional human being. It's very difficult for them to make the right choices that they really want to make. And I truly believe that women want to make the right choices. That's one of the things that frustrates me so much is you have to figure that a, a woman who finds herself pregnant, maybe out of wedlock or as a young person, you know, you, you you miss your period and then you're like, oh crap, I'm gonna go do this thing. And then you realize you find yourself pregnant. What more vulnerable of a person, right? When we talk about protecting the vulnerable, who's more vulnerable than a woman who finds herself pregnant with maybe no husband, maybe no family support, maybe none of that. And then you have this kind of like, you know, a vulture there saying, oh yeah, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and you're scared, and you're afraid, so you should just kill that child. That's the solution. What we've done is we've made it the easy choice. But I wanna talk Mm. a little bit more about all women. Let's let's say you have a job and your boss is going to decide that he's not going to support you while you're Mm. pregnant. You know, we have Mm -hmm. laws, you know, for pregnancy leave and family leave and all those kind of things. But we need to make sure that employers don't make a decision between a man and a woman that is in childbearing years and put the pressure Mm. on that woman to keep her job and to move up the corporate ladder. You know, we, we take a look at the disparity in, in women's income versus men's income. And a lot of that is based on the fact that women are away from the job and they are right. getting their annual raises while they're raising their children or they're having their children or they're pregnant. So they're looked down upon in the workplace as well. So it's not mm. just the, the most vulnerable, the young, the you know, it's the upwardly mobile. It's, it's all women. And so yeah. we have to say to them, you know, you really are capable of success, whether it's at home, whether it's at school, whether it's in the workplace, because you truly are capable. Well, and when did, what do you think this, mm, it's almost like motherhood has been degraded in our society, that if you decide to be a stay-at-home mom or you want to be a parent, that there's something wrong with that, that if you aren't just focused on your career and oh, if you weren't all money focused, then there's something wrong with you as if wanting to be a mother is a problem. What, do you think that started in the seventies with the whole like women's lib movement? Where do you think that degradation of motherhood comes from? I, I think it's a whole media thing as well. I think what they've done mm. is they projected what the perfect life looks like and what it mm. can be. And we've gone away from what the family unit looks like. And we've gotten into this big thing. In in America, one of the things that you hear so often is when people meet each other, one of the first comments they make is, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Yeah, yeah. 
where in some other countries, if in, in Africa, in, in Central America and other places, when you meet somebody, you say, how's your family? Tell me about yourself. It doesn't start with what your image is and who you're projected to be based mm -hmm. upon what your job is, what your title is, and who you are. The value of a human being is not based. And it's a whole battle between communism and capitalism. Because one of the reasons communism doesn't work is it treats human beings as economic units. Yes. Where in reality, what we are is we're spiritual animals. We're spiritual beings. And God recognizes that. And he can't take that away from people. And that's why communism doesn't work. Because in the same thing with capitalism, if you start talking about us being economic units, it doesn't work. So what we have right. to do is we have to refer to the fact that we're spiritual beings. And, you know, God looks at, I mean, the government looks at people in demographic groups. Government looks at the fact that we need to do something, women or minorities or any other special interest groups, where God looks down at us and sees an individual and what's in their soul and what they can be in their spiritual being. And what we need to do is we need to get back to that as a society and empower women to be who they really are and not what's expected of them to be something they're not. So we need to give them the opportunity and the choice. And the only reason way you do that is you need to empower them economically. You need to empower them emotionally as well. And you need to make sure they truly have choice in the, in the, in the, decisions that are making they're making every day oh i love that and that's i know um as an example aspire now in williston vermont they are really uh, a great pregnancy resource center in Chittenden county um where you can get the financial help that you need um you know you mentioned things like car seats and clothes and diapers and parenting classes none of which you know, up uh, the likes of a Planned Parenthood or an abortion provider is going to help you with, right? The government isn't going to come in and say, oh, no, you're great and wonderful and you can do it. We need these organizations. We need these people and volunteers to be available to women. I think, like you said, to just change the narrative, right? Um, funny enough, uh benjamin our producer said how can we think women will be strong and empowered when they're constantly running a psyops to tell them that they're weak and i think that that is so on point and and speaks to what you said which is we're going to take away the choice and we're just going to tell you that you're weak right and can't do it and you know government will give provide services once a child is born economic support, the WIC program, SNAP, some of these other things. What women need is an opportunity to go through the full pregnancy process, and they need emotional support. And that falls down to each and every one of us and our values and what we believe in, that it's not all about the money. You have to have the emotional support because with emotional support and economic help, women can do anything if we give them a chance. I love it. Jay the Shepherd, uh, Jay Shepherd, National Republican Committeeman. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for bringing your your wise and sage knowledge to of the people. Uh, we do appreciate you being with us today. 
Thank you very much, Erica. And I always, just want to reiterate, I'm not always right, but I'm always sure. And I look forward <laughs> to following you and Robert as uh, <laughs> you guys continue to reach out and be of the people. I love it. And as a reminder, you guys, make sure to reach out. Uh, you can you can find us on Twitter, all the socials. Email me, Erica, E-R-I-C-K-A, at coalition, the number four, America.com. If you want to enter our SIG Sour training camp giveaway. So make sure to do that. We're going to be announcing it on the show next week, who the winner is. So make sure you enter. Uh, because that is an amazing gift. That is an amazing giveaway. We always want people uh, to be empowered, as we've been talking about in the show today. So this has been Erica Reddick filling in as host for Mr. Robert Chernin on Of The People, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>